What is the product that we are selling when we sell So this? that's what we struggled with for years. And that's what most companies struggle with. It is too easy to say, oh, you need advice, 300 bucks an hour, $150 yeah. an hour, too easy. Set a, set a meeting, I'll bill you. But Done. nobody, but, but, but it doesn't scale up. No, internally, it, it, from a company perspective, no, it doesn't scale right. up. You're limited to the time of the CFO quality people who are expensive and hard to find. And then it's not a good client experience. No, who wants to get a bill at the end of the month? If you'd like to earn CPE credit for listening to this episode, visit earmarkcpe.com. Download the app, take a short quiz, and get your CPE certificate. Continuing education has never been so easy. And now, on to the episode. All right, Dan, we're talking about the path to advisory services in accounting. The goal, help accounting firms figure out how they can do advisory. I think we're all on board with the idea of it. We've been talking about it for a long time in our profession. One of the problems that we have though is how do you actually do it? How do you add advisory to your firm? What does advisory even mean? It means a lot of different things to different people. I like to go to the dictionary and look up definitions of words all the time. And I did that before we got on. I looked up (laughs) advisory. And one of the definitions is offer suggestions about the best course of action to someone. I think that definition hit the nail on the head. The question becomes, as a practitioner or a firm, a business, what is it that you want to look like in your future state? Because in the accounting business, in the legal business, architecture, you name it. It's always been about advisory, but it's been less about advisory at scale. So for hundreds of years, people have been giving advice. So I don't think it's a new phenomenon. What I think is how we're trying to scale our business with a lens towards advisory. Just like we did in bookkeeping and accounting, removing that one-to-one relationship being that a practitioner to a customer versus a firm with a multitude of employees and systems and processes and technologies to be able to deliver the advice, the advisory services, whatever we really want to call it, at scale and profitable. What does scale mean to you? So if you asked me seven years ago, when I was romping around Boston, hanging out with startups until 10 o'clock at night, scale to me meant more than one customer, where I could replace my corporate paycheck with multiple customers billing by the hour or by project. Today, what scale means to me is providing a service to a customer, advisory, using or leveraging cadence, rigor, and the team. In other words, by leveraging people, we're able to build scale at the company level. We're able to grow. So that's interesting. You're coming at it from the perspective of somebody who was previously providing advice or finance services, advice in a finance department for a single company working in in the corporate world. Now you have your own firm you are doing the same thing, doing advisory in this context, it's not new. 
It's been done for decades, if not hundreds of years or millennia, we've been providing advice. The difference is that we are going to do it at scale. And scale means doing it for more than one client and defining all the processes so that, well, you're not having to do it all, right? As the, as the firm owner. Correct. Without losing control over quality. That becomes the issue when it's a one-to-one relationship and you attempt to scale a business by leveraging people, but maintaining a flat organization. If your strategy to scaling is find the customer or customers and then build the factory, aka bring on someone with public accounting experience, someone who can actually meet the needs of that customer, at the end of the day, it's still a one-to-one relationship. Where's the quality metrics? Where, Where are the quality systems? On the scaling side, if you're looking at your business through the lens of scaling, whether it's internally a division, scaling your business around advisory, just like the rest of you guys did 20, 30 years ago or 10 years ago for you. So let's think about scaling then in the context of those services we've been doing for decades that we're doing now. I come from the bookkeeping world. A lot of folks come from the tax world, the audit world. What's an example of of scale in those areas, those service lines? Because I think that could help inform how we think about scale when it comes to advisory. I, I think that's a great approach. So having spent years in corporate, I had the wonderful pleasure of dealing with auditors in public companies, tongue in cheek. Um, (laughs) Sorry, I couldn't stand Sarbanes-Oxley. The managing partner had the relationship with the CFO or the controller of the company. The individual I dealt with was probably one or two years out of school or maybe was the actual manager for a particular function within my company didn't actually deal with the managing director of Ernst & Young or KPMG. Audit inherently lends itself to scaling because you can leverage people and within companies, there's more than one department, more than one function, and therefore more than one test. So it lends itself well to scaling. On the advisory side, it just has not And partly is because maybe the mentality of the industry, tax, audit, and now more recently bookkeeping, CAS, and maybe because I didn't come from that world, inside of a company, the director of FP&A is not the spreadsheet jockey. It is a junior analyst overseen by a senior analyst, and so on and so forth. And you can expand on that if you've got multiple divisions, multiple business units, all rolling up to the CFO. I'm not sure where the disconnect is, and it could be complacency. There are a lot of people in the industry that are rocking the boat around the complacency of the industry. I don't disagree with a lot of that. But I also think it's not that trivial. At some point, just like we did in bookkeeping, it does not matter if you are a construction company, a restaurant, a service-based business, or a venture-backed tech company. Bookkeeping is bookkeeping. Yes, there are going to be nuances. There are going to be different applications within the ecosystem you have to learn. But at the end of the day, it's boring. It comes back down to cadence. Get the numbers in the books. Reconcile the cash. And you've got systems in place. You've got a a 
a way of working in place with bookkeeping and with audit. And we haven't talked about tax yet, but it's similar where you've got lower level staff that are able to deliver the work. There's quality controls in place where you have managers overseeing this and the partners, the firm owners can grow that aspect of the business without having to be deeply involved in it. To me, that's scale, right? That's scale because of one thing. There are quality systems. There are systems that manage quality. And we don't have that when we're talking about other areas of advisory. Most advisory services and firms have no quality control in place. We struggle with that. And so that's why we have to deliver it ourselves as the owners. That's correct. the, The partners. Okay. I agree. Okay. So that helps me understand better the challenges of advisory. And we talked about One of the challenges is scaling it. And the reason that we struggle to scale it is because we don't have quality control in place and we we don't have a way to, well, empower our staff to deliver it. So we need to figure that out if we want to do advisory, right? That's right. And the staff is sort of the other leg to the stool, if you will. If you're hiring for folks who understand debits and credits, understand how to do QuickBook coding reconciliations, it's a very different persona on the financial analysis side. They're Mm -hmm. two different people. So it's not as simple as, well, we lack quality control and therefore we cannot let go of that one-to-one relationship because God forbid I let a junior analyst put together a spreadsheet, a model, because then I still have to go in and spend the same amount of time reviewing for quality, those formulas, version control? Mm -hmm. Do they actually understand the drivers of the business? And so part of the quality control is having systems that are analogous to QuickBooks, like in this case, and Giraffe, and there are others out there. Here comes another excellent candidate for BotKeeper. Have you come to learn your fate? Yes, Bathawise. I want to know the future. Ah, yes, the future. There is so much to know. Don't you need a crystal ball or something? Crystal balls are for amateurs, just to impress the tourists. Okay... What do you want to know of the future? I want to know what kind of shape my accounting firm will be in, in a few years. Yes, I can see it. Your staff, they are endlessly entering data into your online GL, struggling to connect to your clients' financial accounts, spending all their time doing low-value bookkeeping. That sounds a lot like the present. This is what will come to pass, unless... Yes? Yes? Unless you embrace the future of bookkeeping. And what is the future of bookkeeping? The future of bookkeeping is BotKeeper. BotKeeper automates your bookkeeping. It will brighten your accountant's future and release them from the drudgery of data entry, reconciliation, and verification. And now, if you schedule a meeting on or before March 31st, 2022, you could win a year of BotKeeper bookkeeping automation free. Just visit botkeeper.com slash win for details and rules. A free year of Botkeeper? That sounds amazing, but I already use an online GL. Botkeeper works with QuickBooks and Zero, the most popular online GLs. Stop struggling. Botkeeper automates it all and learns as it goes. Sounds like it might take a long time to get up and running. Not at all. Botkeeper helps you get set up. Most clients are onboarded in as little as a month and see the savings the very next quarter. Now that sounds like a future I want. How do I get started? Simple. Just visit botkeeper.com slash win 
I'll do it. Thanks, Bot. Wait, I'm getting one more thing from these spirits. What is it? Yeah, you owe me 50 bucks. Okay, so advisory services, what are we actually doing for our clients? When we talk about advisory services, we said earlier, the definition is to, what is that definition? <laughs> to provide. It's, uh, the definition is offer suggestions about the best course of action to someone. So that could mean a lot of different things. It could mean how do we save money? Tax planning is something we've been doing a long time in the advisory space in accounting firms. That's nothing new. It might be going out and getting financing. It might be, might be a lot of things. Like what is, when you think about advisory from your firm's perspective, your firm is called Growth Lab. You have this concept called finance as a service. That seems to be one way that you've defined advisory. So finance, so back to so your So you're, you're coming at it from the finance perspective because that's your career. You have been in corporate finance before you started your firm. I look at, I mean, I, I'm going to, I'd like to reflect a lot on what the industry has done for bookkeeping and accounting. The controller who is developing the revenue recognition methods processes does not have to be the same person who's actually doing the bookkeeping. So why is it that in bookkeeping and accounting, we've been able to de delineate capability, but on the advisory side, we just haven't. And I think part of it is, again, quality control systems, tools that manage that quality or reduce the quality issues. And then it's the hiring. Because at the end of the day, Blake, my director of finance or my senior financial analyst, they're not going to, they're not ready in their career to have a conversation with a banker around the maturity wall of their debt profile, the debt schedule. They're not ready to have that conversation, but they can actually put together the information that's needed, plus take that extra step and define what the scenario is. So that way, when I'm jumping in, I can feel confident that the numbers are correct because they know where they came from. There's quality control metrics in place. And they've given me a little bit of a blueprint as to what's happening. And now through my experience, I don't have to spend 80% of my time doing journal entries, doing spreadsheets. I can spend 80% of my time. And of course, my time is reduced because it's delivered to me. I can spend 80% of the value I'm adding to the customer on what's important, the advice, as opposed to paying somebody $300 an hour for a fractional CFO and you find him or hers, their head in journal entries all month long. That's not strategy. It's not scalable. So this is just like, uh, well, yeah, in tax planning, let's use that as a comparison. We have figured out how to train staff, how to prepare a tax return prepare the draft return, then the partner reviews it and does the planning. So we can do the same thing in finance when it comes exactly. to virtual CFO or fractional CFO services. Yeah, dude, so, 100%. Okay. So let's talk about advisory from that perspective, the virtual CFO, the fractional CFO, the finance as a service term. Let's define finance as a service. I love this term that you have created at Growth Lab. It makes me think of software as a service, which is the the world that we now live in with subscription based software solutions is that 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 obviously is it's got to be why you chose finance as a service it's it's there's some 
relationship I there. I chose it because I hate the billable hour. It's so annoying to have to deal with T-sheets. I would love nothing more than to blow up T-sheets altogether. I'd love nothing more than to just get rid of timesheets, get rid of the billable hour. I have I butt heads with some of my senior team members who have spent years in public accounting. And they said, I don't want to bill people by the hour because the last thing I want to do, at least in my view, accounts receivable is a non-value added function to our customer. Your customer sees no value in you managing accounts receivable. The value that they get is people processes. So what does the timesheets have to do with that? It's that you're you're charging people a flat monthly fee to deliver this finance right. service. Okay. So just like a software subscription, instead of subscribing to software, they're subscribing to Growth Lab. I like that. That makes a lot of sense. So then you know what are the things that you are doing as as part of finance and service? What does that encompass? Like what is in that? I look at it through the lens of like value stream mapping. And so you walk into companies. Value stream mapping. So you you're see, gonna have to you're gonna have to break that down for me. Okay. So what's a value stream? It's processes, inputs, outputs, suppliers, customers, metrics to ensure quality, right? I look at that accounting and finance, not just I, I mean, we all do. We look at the finance and accounting function within a company as a value stream. There are suppliers, they produce something, they process something, they add value to something, and it passes it along, right? So I look at that whole uh, function as a value stream, and I see finance as a service as helping companies either design, develop, or execute on part or all of that value stream. And that is finance as a service in my mind. And why I can put a dollar figure on that is because it's boring. It's the same thing. It, there's nothing to it. So if you can put bookmarks on the value stream and understand the ins and outs, you can make money on this. And moreover, you can scale. So when you say it's boring, there's nothing to it. What do you mean by that? I mean, obviously you've done it a lot. So for you, it's you figured out a method. It's predictable. Every business has certain things that are similar, right? Like with bookkeeping, that's where I come from. I know how to do bookkeeping for, I could do bookkeeping for any business. Exactly. Because, you know, there's a, there's 90% of it is the same. There's only the 10% that's different. So is that right. what you mean when you say that it's boring? That's exactly what I mean. It's boring because it's about cadence. You want it to be boring, right? Repetitive. And it's about the final product, the rigor. Let's dig in more. What are the things that we are helping our clients with when we are optimizing their, what did you call it? The, the value stream? Their value stream. So is that another way I could say it? We're optimizing their value stream. We're enhancing it. We're, we're helping them. I mean, in the end, it's about helping them achieve their, their goals, right? They want to, from a finance perspective, sell their business someday, increase how much money they're making. Right. Let's start from the beginning. I'm, a, I'm an accountant. I didn't mm -hmm. study finance. What, is, what are we looking at when we do this? Yeah, no. Okay, good question. So why did I end up with a bookkeeping business when I was doing more fractional CFO work for startups? And that's because how you started, right? Like, like that. I think that's important. Is your background is corporate finance? Started doing fractional CFO work. You weren't doing the accounting, and then you added. No, the I can't do accounting. I'm, I can't do debits and credits. <laughs> you don't want me in your QuickBooks. Every time I go into my QuickBooks, my my own internal people like start yelling at me. Okay, fair enough. 
So yeah, you don't want me in the QuickBooks. Okay. So sorry to interrupt. Please continue. <laughs> you don't want me in your QuickBooks. I'm actually pretty good with QuickBooks. I enjoy the reporting. I actually can get into the audits. I understand the importance of bookkeeping, which is why I did maybe a little backwards. I don't know. Most bookkeeping businesses are trying to go up market, right? There are a lot of groups out there that are trying to train bookkeepers and accountants to be advisors, be the best you can be. I found myself here as a CFO, but without the support of analysts and then more importantly, bookkeeping and accounting, which is how I ended up where I am. Ended up saying, well, if I can't build it, I'm just going to buy it. It's just going to be easier for me. So the thing with bookkeeping and accounting is that accounting is inherently optimized to be on a schedule. You talk about the accounting and finance calendar. Yeah, yeah. Uh, monthly close, uh, right. quarterly financials, annual it's, budget. Yeah. You know exactly what the inputs are and the outputs are and what the cadence, the tack time is, the throughput. The issue on the advisory side to replicate that, aka standardization, what's in, what's out, tack time, throughput, to do that on the advisory side is hard because it's an extra level of human capital. And human capital is not expensive. To, it's expensive <laughs> and it's hard to put bookmarks on. Yeah. Because it's not tangible. And I think on the advisory side, you need to start with some sort of framework. The framework is the guiding light around productization. What is the framework? So I love this topic, right? Productization of services. That is another key to scaling. And it, it actually is just another term for what you were talking about earlier, which is processes, getting the right people, defining, what do you call it? The uh, quality control. Scope and then ultimately what's being delivered, right? Yeah. And, and this is great because it's bringing me to like the, the question that I want to ask, which is like, what is in these packages that you're selling? You're selling people finance as a service. It's a fixed monthly fee. What are you doing for them? What is, what is the product that we are selling? When we so sell that's what we struggled with for years. And that's what most companies struggle with. It is too easy to say, oh, you need advice, 300 bucks an hour, $150 yeah. an hour. Too easy. Set a, set a meeting, I'll bill you. But, nobody, but, but, but it doesn't scale up. No. Nope. Internally, it, it, from a company perspective, no, it doesn't scale right. up. Because you're limited to the time of the CFO quality people who are expensive and hard to find. And then it's not a good client experience. No. Who wants to get a bill at the end of the month? Right. And you don't want to worry about getting a bill for a five-minute call to your CFO that's, you know, 50 bucks or whatever, hundred totally. bucks. Right. T totally. So that productization in advisory, I like to look, I go back to, I like to look at the bookkeeping, the history around cloud accounting. Cloud accounting for the first time had the opportunity for productization because you weren't sending people to the office. As soon as you send somebody to your customer's office, you don't know what they're doing. They could be cleaning toilets. They could be fixing computers. They, they could be struggling with technology. You don't know what they're doing. It's impossible to product. Now we have, we've tried to put a, a pr monthly price, but it's very difficult to manage your business, your margins, your capacity when you're, when you're sending people to the office. Well, we're just selling time. You're just right? selling so, time. Like, if you're just selling time, then that's not a productized service. Correct. That, that's just selling people's time. They, like you said, they could be doing anything. And so you and look at the accounting, you got that accounting calendar, you got the close, you got the, you know, the financial institution, um, the data, right? 
comes in at the first of the month, all that jazz. You got to pay your bills. You get money from customers. You got to figure the same thing out in advisory. What is it that we're going to be? What is our guiding principle? What is our framework around advisory? And then once you have defined that, so in our company, we talk a lot about the annual strategic business cycle. And I mm -hmm. always caveat that by saying, I know it sounds like management consulting stuff, but there are components of this that are actually crucial to all business. Now, I don't always go in and say for $1,500 a month, you're going to get the annual strategic business cycle. I'd get a boot in the ass, right? That's not going to work. Right. What you end up distilling that down to is, oh, you need an annual operating plan. You need an updated annual operating plan and you need a long range plan. And every month you got to be visiting that so you can roll your, for your, your uh, forecast forward. Because at the end of the day, if you're aligning people's comp with what they signed up for, in other words, your AOP, your budget, then it is your job as a manager to make sure you, you are measuring or taking inventory of the risks and opportunities to achieving your budget. And you better damn be sure that you're developing countermeasures every month to close the gap. And by the way, even opportunities, there's a gap because opportunities cost money. So what are you going to do to mean to actually capture that opportunity? That is a countermeasure. Okay, so let's back up for a second because you used a lot of terms that are unfamiliar or maybe unfamiliar. Uh, Where's the got... dictionary? <laughs> I don't have one in front of me, so I hope you have the definitions for these. You mentioned annual operating plan. You mentioned long-range plan. You, managed, you mentioned annual strategic business cycle. Okay, so maybe a, a good way to do this is let's think about a client prospect meeting. Like I'm the prospect, I'm coming to you because I'm interested in engaging you for finance as a service. I've been intrigued by some of the videos on your website. I know that I need help. I I, I want to grow my business. I want to sell it someday. What do you sell me? Yeah. So I start by identifying your pain points. And so here at Growth Lab, we talk about the Growth Lab 4. We believe that every business, especially small businesses, are challenged with understanding their cash flow where they're making and losing money, marketing for profit, and paying for performance. Everybody wants to do that. Everybody wants to understand it. Everybody wants to execute on that. But it's very difficult to do that unless you're bought into building a budget, a long-range budget, updating your budget, and then creating cadence every month. Don't just shove that budget in the top right-hand drawer of your virtual desk. Those four questions, I love that. So we have... Where is the cash going? That's cash cash flow. We've got where are we making and losing money? Making and losing money. So that's that, that's your that, that seems that's familiar to me. That's right. That's the PL looking that's at PL, right? But that's your chart of accounts. You know, you okay. you look at chart of accounts, you see just like one line item. And it's like, well, how do you know where you're making and losing money? That I'm more familiar with making sure that we've got the right accounts, that they make sense, that we're putting everything in the right accounts and we can actually make sense of it. Um Okay, then we've got, you said something interesting, marketing. Marketing, marketing dollars. Marketing, marketing for profit, marketing not for, for profit. revenue. Not every dollar of revenue is the same. Interesting. Okay, we'll, we'll dig into that. And then the last one was something about performance pay. Pay for performance, not just to show up nine to five. Awesome. Okay, so those are your four key questions or? Those are my, you asked me if I was selling. Yeah, yeah. That's where I usually lead. So that's, Somebody's going to say, oh yeah, I got problem number one and problem number three. How are we going to solve for that? Boom. All yeah. right. Let's talk about the annual strategic business cycle. You need a budget. You need a forecast. And by the way, you need to be revisiting that. 
So let's talk about each of these questions then. This is really helpful because this is the stuff that people need is the in-depth, in-detail, what am I actually doing for people? You know, frankly, the boards of accountancy, the state CPA societies, ASCPA, they don't know how because they're not doing it themselves and you're doing it. So I hope you're okay with digging down deep into these yeah, no, I love this stuff. So. Okay, cool. This And it's, it's actually, I'm learning on this. I'm getting excited. We have these four questions. Let's dig into number one. Where is our cash going? I am intrigued by this because I am a business owner who just looks at his bank balance and it goes up and it goes down. And when it's high, I'm happy. And when it's low, I'm really, really worried. <laughs> so how do you, how does Growth Lab help me figure this out, get get better at this, understand where it's going? Yeah. So it starts with what type of company are you? If you're a, a startup venture-backed growth mode, you're probably just burning cash all day long. So understanding cash outdates, cash burn, liquidity, uh, not liquidity events, ultimately a liquidity event, but understanding the the need for, I usually call it like your liquidity profile, right? Every plan has a liquidity profile. Every plan requires cash. So you've got the startup persona which is very different than, say, a restructuring turnaround situation where you're leveraging more tools, short, shorter-term tools like 13-week cash flows, very tactical, and understanding the debt profile of that business. So you've got the understanding your cash flow from a turnaround, restructuring, and understanding your cash flow from a venture-backed startup. But the rest of us who kind of live in this other world of, I got to do payroll, working capital, bankrolling my customers. Oh, my vendors are actually bankrolling me. My debt payments are due. I got to buy inventory. Why isn't my inventory moving? So understanding your cash flow. One of the first customers that we ever brought on due to SEO, actually, was about five years ago. He said to me, Dan, I look at the P&L that your team, your accounting team sends me. I'm making money. But then I look at my bank account and it's down hundred grand. And I was like, oh, interesting. Have you looked at your balance sheet? Have you looked at your statement of cash flows? Bookkeeping and accounting, we're so focused on like ticking and dying these and coding the numbers to the right place and making sure no one's stealing from a bank account. So let's reconcile this to like, oh, and then let's not forget about revenue recognition and all that jazz. But the problem is <laughs> the PL doesn't actually reflect what's in your bank account. Now, right, guys like yeah. you and I, folks like you and I, we we get it. And so we gravitate towards maybe your statement of cash flow. Like I would say the most important financial statement is your indirect statement of cash flow. Mm -hmm. It tells you where your dollars went. And they're either on your PL or on your balance sheet, or maybe someone walked off with it. But understanding your cash flow, it's is it an advisory function? Yeah, I I think it is, but that should just be a function of your financial review. So once a month, you say, okay, what, what do I get for this? If you're on the higher level package, you're getting two meetings a month. One meeting, you're doing a review of your financials. I'm not talking about just going down the PL again, like my accounting team just did. I'm talking about understanding where your cash went. So helping that business owner understand their statement of cash flows, because if they, even if they can read a PL, chances are the indirect yeah. statement of cash flows is a little bit, you know, beyond most most business owners. So you're having two 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 meetings a month, say on a particular package, where you go through the financials with them and help them understand 
what is happening, how they're all linked together. Where do the cash go? And then understanding where they're making and losing money. Those two first items covered in that. Okay. So we can have a, a well, if we're doing, assume that we're doing high quality bookkeeping, we can have that, that meeting and that cadence can be different depending on the client. So it can, it can be, be, it can be less frequent or more frequent depending on their needs. Okay. Right. That makes sense to me. What about these other two items? They're a little different. They're not standard stuff that I would necessarily cover in a meeting with a client in my accounting firm. Mm-hmm. The marketing for profit and the paying for performance. What are we doing there when it comes to services we're providing? Like, how do we package that into something? So, does that tie back to the annual operating plan, long range plan, all that? 100%. In your long range plan, or better yet, your annual operating plan, let's take the pay for performance piece for a second. If you are attempting to align employee behavior to achieve corporate business goals, then you need a pay-for-performance scheme, a comp structure that gets you there or gets employees there. And in order to do that, you need to have a plan. And the annual operating plan, so I always say I like to keep it simple. Everybody wants to be comped on every part of the P&L and the cash. And I said, no, you, let's keep it simple, especially like in year one, I'll say, mm-hmm. keep it simple. Let's focus on revenue. Now, I just finished saying marketing for profit, and here we are talking about revenue, right? I mean, it's like a moral hazard paying commissions, right? Let's face it. You pay a, you pay a salesperson commission. They don't really care if you're going to really make profit on that dollar of revenue. They just, they're focusing on bringing the dollar of revenue, but that's for another uh, topic. You want to be able to align people's behavior. And the way you do that is putting together a budget. And part of that that budget, I always say, I like to see a plan that has a base, a target, and a stretch. So now I'm kind of getting a little bit into mm-hmm. comps. Now we're getting here. into the details of this. But you equipment. have to because you can't, you can't get up to bat unless you've got your annual operating plan by month, by quarter. And so... You set your plan, and then you set your employee's uh, target comp. Mm. At target, the goal here is it's expected that the effort an employee puts into their role, into their job, is with an eye towards the target budget. So in other words, your pay for performance at the target, and that's like right down the middle, right? Strike zone. That's part of their total comp. You almost expect to give that out. Your base is a way to hedge your bet. And so I always like to have a base. So in this case, if we're comping on revenue or we're bonusing on a revenue, I like to have a base. So pretty much anything below base, there's no bonus. If you hit between bonus and say target, you get half of your anticipated bonus. And I like to keep it very simple. If you hit target right up until what we call stretch, you get your your entire bonus. It's almost binary, right? It's a mm-hmm. it's a tiered binary system. There's no like algorithm here. Anything overstretch, I like to double people's bonuses. Why is that? Well, I've got my plan. For my plan, I have my stretch, I have my base, but it all starts with that annual operating plan. And on a monthly basis, you're reviewing that plan. I don't know. I, 
every time I review my financials, Blake, I always say to myself, there is no better check I like to write than my bonus checks. If my team is getting bonused as a business owner, you're getting bonused and be able to use that free cash flow to invest in the business. How frequent are these meetings? Like, do you have different tiered packages that have different frequency of meetings? Are they as needed? How often are you doing this? You said monthly. Is that the most common? So definitely monthly. So the lowest package would be monthly with a focus on annual operating plan, updating your annual operating plan, and then your long range plan. Okay. So we keep it simple. I would say 50%, not even, I would say about 30% 30% of customers go with that lower tier. Gotcha. Um, especially if they have good accounting and, and timely accounting. Okay. And we're, and in that meeting so far, we've discussed obviously going over the financials, helping to understand cash flow. This is not super new. But then the thing you've added into that that is different that I have not done, that most people probably haven't done, is that management of the and review of the employee compensation, employee incentive compensation plan. Is that yes. what you call it? Yeah. Yep. Okay. And you review that on a monthly basis. So that would be at the much higher level package. Level, yeah. So that's yeah. not in your base package. Okay, got it. And then the the last question I wanted to g- get to before we dig into what is this annual operating plan, long range plan, all that, is the uh, marketing for profit. Profit. Yeah. So is that something you do for your first tier clients, or is that something that's on the higher plans? That would be more on the higher mid-range plans. Okay. Um, but that said, even if you have multiple products or multiple service, that type of information, especially if you're using system, so forget about like doing this in QuickBooks. It, it gets very difficult because you don't have as much flexibility to pull ratios by different stratified revenue and cogs. Right. You can build your management reports to present. Uh, gross margins by revenue stream. And a lot of people don't actually do that because in QuickBooks, it requires a little bit of spreadsheet jockeying. And if you ever tried to like manipulate a spreadsheet coming out of QuickBooks, it's hard for the average person. Yeah. 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 Not scalable. But that begins to open up their like, that begins to open up dialogue, right? I mean, one of the things about advisory isn't just delivering things on a silver platter. We want to do that. And what we don't want is 80% of someone's time to be focusing on just delivering the product. We want 80% of the value to come from delivering the advice around this. What that does when you're talking about marketing for market for profit, marketing for profit, and you've got the right management reporting, whether it's a say on the gross margin level, product A, product B, COGS associated with A, COGS associated with B. You've got gross margin A, gross margin B, and one is 80%, the other one is 40%, and you have this holy shit moment. But it doesn't mean you're just going to like stop doing product B, but at least it starts having a conversation about this. And you know, as a client, where to focus your energy, and you have an insight that maybe you didn't have before because you you just saw top-line revenue. You didn't see it broken down. You didn't see the margins on the products. And now you can put your energy toward what's actually driving your business. So with QuickBooks, at least you can see the cash conversion cycle on each of those revenue items, kind of maybe a little more difficult on the COGS, but at least being able to see where am I making and losing money? And is it an issue? Is it an issue around pricing? Is it an issue around my marketing approach? Or am I okay with this? Because my go-to-market strategy 
is to lead with B and end up with a nicer lifetime value with product A or service A. But the point here, Blake, is you begin to have conversations. Got it. So to summarize, we've talked about the, the four key questions that you ask any prospect. Where's the cash going? Where are you making and losing money? Marketing for profit and then paying for performance. And we've talked a little bit about some of the different things that you do to help clients. Um, and we're going to take a break and then we'll come back and we'll talk about that annual operating plan that we've been talking about, that long range plan. We'll get into more detail about what it is that we are delivering and on that cadence that you mentioned. And I really want to know how are you doing this work? How are you, who is doing it? How do you ensure quality? Because Dan isn't doing this, right? No. That's the thing that's important is you figured out a way at Growth Lab where you can have financial analysts do this stuff, the bulk of it, 80% of it or more, I understand. And then you can come in and sit down and do the meeting. Right. Yeah, that's the dream. That's the scalability there. That's scalability, cool. right? Awesome. Well, I'm looking forward to chatting with you next time. Cool. Thanks, Blake. Appreciate it, man. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode and that you learned something new. And if you did, wouldn't it be nice to get some CPE credit for it? Well, I've got great news. My new app, Earmark CPE, offers free NASPA-approved CPE credits for listening to podcasts, including this one. Visit earmarkcpe.com to download the app, take a short quiz, and get your CPE certificate. That's earmarkcpe.com.